When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're tuned in to another edition of Americana Music Profiles. Brought to you by Americana Rhythm Music Magazine and AmericanaMusicMagazine.com. I'm your host, Greg Tutwiler. Let's jump right in to the next exciting interview. Ed Roman is an award-winning singer-songwriter from Shelburne, Ontario, Canada. His music has been heard on more than 600 radio stations worldwide and was featured as a Billboard magazine emerging artist in December of 2018. His music blurs the lines between folk, country music, and even some pop and rock genres. His new single is Tomorrow's Today. Ed joins me today on this edition of Americana Music Profiles as we talk about his career and his new music. Hello, Ed. Welcome to the podcast. Greg, it's good to be here on Americana Rhythm Magazine. Glad to have you join us. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your Canadian afternoon <laughs> to speak with us. Um, where where are you specifically? Ontario, Canada. So I'm north of Toronto by a couple hours in an old farming community called Melanchthon. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Has that always been home? No, you know, I grew up in Markham. I was sort of born, bred, patched, raised, incubated, however you want to look at it, and made the transition up here about 14 years ago, just because I grew up in a rural farming community, and I like farming, and I still do it today, and this area offered me that, plus I got a lot of friends up in this neck of the woods. I played up here a lot. Uh, it's second highest elevation in Ontario. Oh, wow. I'd go on. Yeah. <laughs> I'd go on. But it's just, it, it feels like home. So the community that you are in, does that afford you uh, opportunities to play, or do you have to travel back into Toronto and in and, and that direction? Yeah, I'm pretty much always traveling. I mean, what's fortunate is that there's been a lot of burgeoning pubs, public houses, restaurants, um, all over the area that have been popping up in the last 10 years. Yeah. So aside from traveling and going to T.O., there's work up here, but with what's going on in terms of the, the globe, I mean, I, every musician I know is, is struggling from people that are doing, or were doing theater work to studio sure. work to live performance. It's just crazy. Yeah. So you guys are kind of uh, pretty much locked down in the rural areas as well? Yeah, we're considered gray. I don't know why they consider gray the worst of the, the band ratio, gray area. I don't know, oh, red. Okay. Right. Not, I, I, yeah. But yeah, we you can only have one person per family per store, and I can go on and on with the list, but yeah, we're oh, wow. locked down here. Okay, yeah. wow. Oh, I know you and the rest of us will be all glad when, <laughs> when 
all of that's behind us, whatever that looks like. I, I don't even know what that looks like anymore. Well, I saw a picture of a combine harvester at night the other night, and I thought it was a, a live crowd in front of the stage, and I got excited. Yeah, I've seen that floating around. Have you seen that? <laughs> I have. That, it is very deceiving. Whoever shot that, uh, you know, it's funny how the mind will play tricks on you. Yeah, it does. It looks it looks like a field full of people. <laughs> yeah, it does. And there's like a stage and like some big event, lights and everything. Yeah. With the harvester. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. So how how long has music uh, been? When did this start for you? When when did when were you introduced into the idea of being able to play music? Well, I, I tell you the truth, it was a problem more so than anything. I mean, I struggled immensely and still do with dyslexia. Mm-hmm. Um, and academically, I was really suffering in so many ways. It's not that I want, didn't want to learn or I wasn't excited to learn. But at the same time, the academic framework expects you to keep up a certain pace with certain sure. things. So at a very young age, when you know the system had me tested and they want to put me on Ridlin and all, my mom, God bless her soul, she was like so a steadfast parent, always working, schoolwork with us, reading with us. But she was also clever enough to know that I gravitated to music. I was always singing, always wanted to play the old piano that was in the front hall of the house. Mm-hmm. And, and I was always telling stories, so it was it was a breakaway thing for me because it liberated me from all that other, okay. you know, con- yeah, yeah, that was it. And, and, I, and I've been doing it ever since because I just I can relate. I can relate to people, the musicians. Yeah. It's three-dimensional. As a dyslexic, I've come to understand, as an ambassador to the whole dyslexic society here in Canada, uh, that it's, it's three-dimensional perception. It's not that it's a problem. I, you know, Henry Winkler more recently defined it as a gift. Huh, and, yeah. and, and, and I guess, and without, I'm not like saying we're better or worse than anybody else, but we crave that three-dimensional contact with our environment. And education to us, so flat and linear mm-hmm. as it is in terms of text, it doesn't jump off the page. A dyslectic's mind is out there trying to put things in three-dimensional format. And words, that's the other aspect. So music doesn't have that. It has the sense of fluidity, storytelling, it, it, you know, all the things that are, that are three dimensional. And I can go on and on and on about it, but I, I can't. I can't imagine doing anything else. I mean, right. somebody asked me in, in an interview, if you weren't dyslexic, would you be doing it? And I'd be like, hmm, you know, I think I'd still be pursuing music because yeah. I love it that much. Yeah. Wow. At what age were you able to grasp that? Hey, this actually could be a career, and I could I could do this professionally. We went out on the road as a young band. We were like in on Capitol Records farm team. Dean Cameron had signed us to this deal, and we were, you know, they were throwing some money our way. We were on the road with some bigger bands and opening for them. And then I, I sort of thought, hey, you know, this isn't just a high school dream with buddies. Like maybe there's something to this. And then I. I more seriously wanted to pursue it as an education, so that's why I went to college and I wanted to study performance because I was excited to be able to apply it in a lot of places and I also knew it'd be work. Like, I've made a lot of money as a cocktail musician playing at weddings, everything. Mm-hmm. Mostly mostly jazz out of the American songbook, uh, standard books. Okay. But at the, at the same time, it still gave me that other envelope of songwriting, experience, exposure, but, yeah, you know, 
at a very young age, I mean, at the same time, as like still, I think I was wanting to do this. Like, even the people when I was younger, like, what do you want to do? It was like, I either want to go into, like, something theatrical music or, like, archaeology. I love history and stuff oh, like yeah. that. So okay. that's why I guess storytelling hand-in-hand with, sure. in terms of anthropology and sociology go hand-in-hand with me again. So, so this has been... You've truly been able to do this as a as a professional career, uh, your whole life. Then, yeah. Well, I mean, I I mean, I taught as well for like like a lot of musicians I know for almost twenty four years, mm-hmm. and, and that also was part of supplementing my income. But I mean, you know, one year we made forty grand playing cock or brunches at this golf club. Yeah. Like, wow. There was always some way to make yeah cash. Yeah, because you you had that ability to di- diversify, right? In terms of who you were as a person, and that's what I like a lot of a lot of the musicians that I play with. They have this huge gambit of enthusiasm when it comes to such a variety of music. So I, I think that's the key to stay alive in in any industry is to sure. be able to diversify. Right? right, right, yeah. Who are some of your early influences? Musical. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I remember. I mean, a lot of 50s music, because that, like, in my house, between my grandparents listening to, like, Eastern, old Eastern European, like, gypsy music. Okay. And, like, and but then huge, huge influences as far as, like, my grandmother loved, like, Sinatra and the Beatles, and and, and then my brothers and sisters were far older than I was, coming out of the 60s, so I was influenced by all the 70s music, everything from, like, Deep Purple to Elton John to, you know, Black Sabbath. Yeah, like, okay. <laughs> like, all over the place. Like, it did, it, in the Grateful Dead, there was no holds barred, it seemed like, when people were listening to music because there was almost a fight for the record player right. or what was on the, radio, on the radio station because we only had one record player and a radio in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, but that, that, all those, it was other people's enthusiasm, but I remember I was 12, and the ABC movie was like Woodstock. Oh, wow, okay. And, and I remember watching, I was like, I wasn't supposed to watch it, snuck downstairs, <laughs> turned on the TV, and the first thing I saw was Hendrix playing the Star Spangled Band. Oh, man. And I, and I just went, what the, <laughs> you know, yeah. because I was experienced to these tight formula, you know, arrangements. I mean, I'd heard some Deep Purple and stuff, but Hendrix, I then almost devoutly followed, like, other artists, like Hendrix, Jocko Pistorius was another guy, like when I was much younger, somebody handed me a bunch of Jocko records and said, well, if you're going to start playing bass, you should listen to this guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Mingus was a huge influence to me because when I went to college, I was really interested in composition. Everybody, Bob Marley, Dylan, I mean, I could go on and yeah. on, but it was weird because even like Tower of Power, for like a year and a half, two years, I did nothing but listen to Tower of Power. Oh, that's cool. Like, studying them like they were some kind of, like, university degree. Everything okay. about them, the history of the band. So, I mean, I come from a lot of funk, rock, R&B, soul, and storytelling folk kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a whole good blend of everything in the weirdest of ways. I try not to think about it too much, to tell you the <laughs> truth. Well, I think that's, that's the difference between uh, a musician and somebody who plays music. Because a musician has to have either currently or or continuously, but has to have taken that journey, whatever that looks like for them, what you did into studying and examining other musicians and and consuming. 
um, I, I think you you miss something if you don't if you don't live that way. Yeah, like I mean, and that's the other thing too. Regurgitation, like that's cool. Like I've worked so many other people's numbers and licks and lyrics, yeah. but at the same time, I'm not. I don't want to be those people. I've heard some really interesting and potent statements from people like, well, it's fine. We're all defined by our influences, but at the same time, they can be our limitation. Sure, yeah. So al- allowing that to, to, to be in the background. Carlos Santana even says the same stuff. He calls it casting. Mm. So he'll go up in the studio and play for a while. And he's casting out, you know, he'll take a play from, like, John Coltrane, or he'll play something that's like he's really, and then all of a sudden it starts to leave, and that him starts to come to the forefront. Hmm. He yeah. spends more of the time following those catalysts of ideas yeah. that then become his own because they're, they're part of his own artistic amusement and realization through construction. Yeah. So, it, you know, that's the other hard part. Is like sometimes I listen to something and I go, well, that kind of sounds like it reminds me. It's okay. Yeah. That's fine to have that, but yeah. how do you want to present it in, 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 in a way that makes it comfortable to you is what actually makes it comfortable to the listener. We're going to pause for just a moment. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the interview. I, I like hearing people's originality, but it's also fun to hear influences sneak in. I, I, I was listening to um, uh, your song, I Am Love, and I, I, I could just hear little bits and pieces of what felt like the talking heads just kind of sneak in and in, in the way that you were presenting some of the lyrics. I thought, that's really cool. I, I just like the way that that kind of just kind of sneaks through there, and you don't even really realize it. I just happen to have been listening to them lately and go, you know, I can kind of hear that coming through, so it was really cool. <laughs> oh, dude, you know what? And, like, David Byrne, and, and, like, I love, like, that's, like, some of that, like, Once in a Lifetime is a Desert album song. Yeah. Definitely for me. And, and like, <laughs> Almost ninety percent of the musicians that I know will have that song in their list. Yeah, <laughs> as far as so, I, that's such a compliment to me because he's. I love the artistic approach of that band. Yeah, and that that, that tune specifically is like he's okay. got that really cool bass line that's just right. almost repeating itself yeah. and flipping on itself. It's yeah. so neat. Yeah, and and yeah. your lyrical presentation it kind of reminded me of that song once in a lifetime. It just it was just. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't a copy, but it was just I could hear that float through there, and it was just, it was cool. It was like, I, I, oh wow, I think, man, yeah. thank you so much. You yeah. made, that's such a big compliment for me. Yeah. You made my month. <laughs> okay, good, good. Well, yeah, I, 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 I sometimes I hesitate to do that because I know people don't want to be compared to, but I, I, I heard it. I could hear the influences, and I, I just, um, so yeah, I, I'm glad that it, it landed the right way. <laughs> well, you didn't say Pat Boone, so I'm good with it. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I don't think we want that comparison today. <laughs> Sorry, Pat. I love you though. Yeah. <laughs> so you you have been how long has this been kind of so so you've got a new album out. I don't I don't want to neglect that. And and uh, you're 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 promoting a new single. Um, how long has this been the uh, the approach for your career as a solo musician? Well, you know it's funny like. I'm always writing, and, and I'm always, I, I love bouncing ideas off of other people. I love letting ideas sit and escrow for a little while, because sometimes they need a little time to mature. Mm-hmm. And, and with that said, as a solo artist, I mean, having a full-on band before, there's, there's politics, right. there's a lot of other things that, that, you know, require different methodology in certain terms of the 
the approach. But the other thing is, like, I've always kept a very open table, even when I was bringing a lot of material, all the material to other band projects in terms of lyrical content and arrangement, I was never negated the idea of trying something in a completely different way, other right. chord structures, whatever it was. So that's what I loved about the that input from other people, is that there were, like, no egos. It's just like, how, what does the, the song require mm-hmm. as it's sort of unfolding in the process? The same thing has happened to me as a solo artist, where I'm like, over the last year, I've been grouping a whole bunch of material. This stuff feels like it belongs together in, mm. in, in the weirdest of ways. It's fitting under this title, you know, uh, and, and we've, we've changed so much in terms of the approach to how people acquire music, right, what they right. want. You know, I mean, if, when I was teaching, you know, people were going to work on something and I wanted to look at their music files or whatever, there'd be an album, but there'd be only two tunes from that album. Mm-hmm as opposed to the whole album. And I, I came from that experience. Well, if you bought the CD or vinyl, you know, you, you may have fell in love with the A or B single because you heard it on the, on the radio, but right. other tracks start to filter their way in that sort of really help with that umbrella of why the album is what it is. Right. And and, and as a solo artist, because I, as things have changed, I realized, well, it's a singles market. Like, yeah. there's nothing wrong with releasing a single, waiting a couple months, putting out a vignette maybe with it or a vignette when it comes out, it doesn't really matter provided that you're continually sort of pumping stuff out into the equation. And right. then in a year's time come to the come to the point where it's like, okay, well, four or five of these are out, let's put out an album. Yeah. And and, okay. and press it and go from there. But it becomes a great testing ground for me as well too to find out, well this tune is very different than the previous number that I released. Tomorrow is today is very different and stronger. But at the same time, I'm like, well, okay, that's good. And however it sticks and however people want to use it, I'm good with it. I just yeah. want to keep creating. Yeah. So it doesn't change that much for me other than this environment, which makes it hard to play live as a band, right. solo artist, yeah. whatever it is. That has completely changed that cosmetic. And playing live streaming events is great, but it's very different than a live show of course yeah it's missing that uh three-dimensional element and oh <laughs> I, I miss that so much <laughs> yeah me too greg yeah i'm sure i'm sure you guys miss it more than i do but uh yeah it's uh oh man we all need it we all need it yeah it's communal it's, i mean it's like the town hall meeting you know in the cathedral of music if you will it's like it's so cathartic for people getting together to talk expel their daily woes before sure. the show, after talk, laugh, have fun, eat yeah. some food, whatever it is, it's so cultural. Yeah. And, and having it not there all of a sudden, after, it's just like, what? And it feels like when you, um, the, the live streaming um, apparatus, you miss the energy that goes on between artist and audience. Whether it's a big audience or small audience, you, you miss the eye contact, you miss the you know, seeing the sweat on the artist's brow, you miss seeing the artist cringe or laugh. You know, it's that that energy is um, a vital element of of the playing and the consuming. Absolutely, like, and you know, I mean, I, the other thing is too is like, I'm not, I don't have a problem doing it. Like, I, I, I welcome it even before the idea of all this happening. 
I mean, I think it's not a bad thing. I was doing an event a couple months back, and all of a sudden, I've got 830 people watching. Mm -hmm. By the time they had done their repost and what have you, it went up to 16,000 people. Yeah, so that's awesome. that 45 minute set that I may have done in Toronto or up here or wherever I was playing may have had 50 to 120 people. Right, in it. right. So, yeah. where do I weigh the difference? Because I know exposure is extremely important. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. but then co the compensation is, is the other side of it. So. Right. Yeah. I, I I feel like when we go back, there'll be a hybrid. You know, you go do the fifty seat pub, but you live stream it or you record it and post it later. You know, and so you kind of get the best of both worlds. I hope. I hope that we find a way to yeah, make, make good. Yeah, me too. And I mean, I, people were already doing it in so many ways. Whether they were streaming from their phone or clubs were doing it, it's a good thing. Like, I mean, it just sort of creates the keeps the circle going in a different way. Right. Uh, and so like I said, I welcome it. But it, it's, it's so important to have a live, a live show. I mean, yeah. I like talking to people. I yeah. like being with people, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. right. Yeah, I, I enjoy consuming it with people. You know, you feed on their, their energy and uh, likes of the music and, and uh, you know, uh, applause and all of that kind of emotion that goes along with it. Um, yeah, or, or and or in the moment too, right? That's right. The way the things yeah. It's an improvisational existence, so anything can happen other yeah. than what you may have planned. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that doesn't always work out. Right, right, yeah. So you have then released how many singles of this this stretch that you're in? Because uh, well, the, the second, okay. we, yeah, the second single came out on November 16th. We're pushing close to ten thousand views right now. It's got a lot of wonderful reviews from magazines and bloggers. Um, it's got a video vignette that goes with it that people can watch. It's on YouTube, and it's for sale. Like Stronger, same thing. Stronger's out there. It's got a lyric video connected to it. But, um, again, it's like I'm, I can let, and not, you know, I, I can release something tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But what I've come to understand about the more of the business side of where we sit it today is that there's so much information coming out of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. On a regular basis. Like whether we whether we go to the old antiquated systems of the T V or we're flipping through our iPad or our phone or we're talking it, it's incredible the amount of information. I think it behooves most artists to just hold your reins a bit yeah. and, and, and and jump in every once in a while because those things I've noticed are sort of those sort of liberating pock marks of happiness. Yeah. So that they come too frequently, you know, it's like getting, you know, too much of what you want all the time. Yeah. Or again, it gets lost in the menagerie of information just sure. because there's so much out there all the time. Yeah. 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 And if you dump it all at once, um, most people aren't going to sit down for 35 or 40 minutes and listen to an album all the way through anymore. Our attention span to do that is is gone. So if you're giving them a bite at a time, then they're always kind of looking for the next bite. And, and then you, you compile them together at the end and say, here, here's the whole pie. And you're kind of doing right. it backwards. So, yeah. Right. And that's what, I mean, it's like the yesteryear of being single. People were cutting from right. the box. Exactly. Yeah. The record album came to the idea that there was more available space at a different revolutions per minute. Yeah. And we could start incorporating these. Before that, even, even the books. I've got some of the books of the 78s and stuff. So that booklet, even though they're only a song per side yeah. makes the album because it's like a photo album, but yeah. it's a record album, right? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. not a bad thing. Just hold your reins a bit and yeah. have fun with it. Yeah, way, right? right. 
everything that's old will be new again. <laughs> it just exactly. comes yeah. back around one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I appreciate you taking the time to uh, tell us about your your music and your story and and uh, um, how you got to where you are, and, and certainly I appreciate you. Um, sharing a little bit about your 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 cause and and your journey with d- dyslexia, uh, I know that's a, a thing that people are finally discovering and realizing that um, that there's ways to uh, embrace that and, and live with it. So I, I I certainly applaud you for keeping keeping the support for that and uh, wish you the best with the rest of the music as it comes out too. You know what, Greg? I really appreciate that because uh, I, I you know. We do a lot of stuff, man, sometimes in our lives. And the weirdest thing about this experience for me with the whole dyslexic society is I'm going to give all of this away. It's a story about my own personal struggle in my life. I'm lucky I found somebody that was a great animator who had tenure that created helped me create a video. The dyslexic society embraced it. It's helping raise money and awareness. It's bigger than me. And, and I, I feel so lucky that I had that, that weird sense of feeling like I'm just going to give it all. Because it's like, it, it, it's such a spiritually solidifying thing without there being any dogma attached. Yeah, yeah. Well, know, I, so I appreciate, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks. Um, what's the best way for people to, uh, if they want to talk to you about that and they want to hear the new music or maybe get in touch with some of your older catalog, how's the best way to reach you? edroman.net the website social networking buttons are there twitter instagram youtube channel my facebook everywhere you're going to find me as special ed roman obviously my management is mts management that's michael silver he's down in apollo pa uh all the new albums are all out on itunes amazon you can get stuff physical copies through cd baby you can listen to older stuff on soundcloud at special ed roman there's a lot of stuff to filter through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I uh, applaud you for your career, and I appreciate the time to talk with you today about all of this. Thanks, Ed. You too, man. I appreciate Americana Rhythm Magazine giving me the opportunity, man. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Americana Music Profiles. Find us on iTunes at Americana Music Profiles and on the Internet at AmericanaRhythm.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.